Studies show that three times a week is as effective at six months as every single night. So we have this mentality that more is better, but more can just be more irritating and not better. Welcome to the High Performance Health Podcast with your host, Angela Foster. The show where we talk about everything you need to break through limits and achieve a high performance mind, body and lifestyle. Hi friends, in today's podcast episode, we are going to be talking about two important aspects of longevity and really living younger, and that is how to have radiant skin and vibrant sexual health. Now, this podcast is not one to be listening to with the children because Jen and I get quite intimate on the changes that happen down below and effects to libido as we start to get older. So if you've got kids and you're listening in the car, I would save this episode for another day. But it's very interesting the way the changes that happen to our body and to our skin also impact our sexual health and importantly, our desire. And we're going to be diving into all of those things with Dr. Jen Haley today. Dr. Jen is a second time guest on the show, had a very popular episode with her, episode 102. If you haven't listened to that one yet, it's all about how to get the glow and anti-aging and beauty from the inside and out. Um, this episode actually builds on much of what we spoke about in that episode. So as I say, if you haven't listened to that one, it's worth going back and having a listen. That's episode 102. But in today's episode, we're going to be building on how you can really get that radiant skin and why it's so important to nourish your body from the inside out. We'll also be talking about the impact of hormonal health and the changes that can occur to our skin and also our sexual health and how you can fix those so that you can really radiate and really get back your libido and have a really healthy sex life as you progress through the years. So Dr. Jen is a leading dermatologist. She's also host of the Radiance Revealed podcast. It's a fantastic podcast if you haven't already given it a listen. Um, and she's here today to really help us solve many of the problems that people struggle with, especially women when they transition through menopause. So sit back and enjoy this episode. As always, the show notes will be over on my website, AngelaFosterPerformance.com forward slash podcast. But let me introduce you now to Jen. So I'm really excited to be joined once again by Dr. Jen Haley. This is, she's such a popular guest on this show. I had amazing feedback on the first episode that we recorded together all about the skin. And I'm just absolutely delighted to have you back because I know that listeners had so many questions, as did I. Um, you kind of left us hanging for more and in thirst of more, actually, Dr. Jen, when you came on the show last time. So massive welcome to the show again. Thanks, Angela. I love coming and speaking with you. It's always so fun. And I myself listened to the podcast actually recently, and um, I can't believe how much we covered. You are such a great interviewer and you had so many questions that I, I feel like we covered a lot and would be probably worthwhile for people to listen to it a couple of times. So, yes, yeah, for sure. You. I would. Um, yeah, thank you. So gracious with your time. And I say for people tuning in, we're going to dive a bit deeper on some of the topics in this one and cover some new ground. But if you haven't listened to the per first podcast, with Jen, then definitely go back and listen to it um, and maybe even listen to it again if you have already, as Jen says. But let's get started because I know we are short on time and we have a lot to pack in. So I think the eyes, we were just talking before the show about the eyes. I think that's a really good place to start because definitely I've noticed in my 40s, the eye area is the first area that I'm that combined with some kind of loss in facial tone are my two biggest complaints. Mm -hmm. And I know they are for many, many men and women, right? In yeah, 40s. very much. Very much so. So that's the, the thinnest skin on our bodies. So that's going to be uh, the most sensitive to aging because there's already so little collagen there. So any breakdown of collagen is going to be more evident where the skin is the thinnest. And even men, this is a very, very common area where men will notice aging. Often I'll have a man come into the office and say, I want Botox. And before I do treatments on people, I'll say, oh, point out exactly what bothers you. And they'll point under their eyes to bags or, you know, areas that cannot be treated with a neuromodulator like Botox, um, because as we, I think, discussed last time, those work by treating muscles uh, that cause movement. So the neuromodulators will not work in areas where there may be a loss of tissue. So with the eyes, there's a couple of things we notice. There's either um, 
uh, dark discoloration under the eyes may be a concern. And I see that in people who um, either have allergies and they're rubbing a lot. So friction and rubbing can cause hyperpigmentation to the skin, especially if you are um, have a lot of pigment in your skin, someone's skin of color, like a medium tone. So I'm part Spanish. And what will happen with me if I have inflammation is I'll, I'll have a brown spot afterwards. So anywhere there's chronic inflammation or rubbing allergies can cause discoloration under the eyes. The other reason for discoloration under the eyes can be from loss of subcutaneous tissue, which basically means like we have these little fat pads under our eyes that descend over time. Gravity wins, right? <laughs> Gravity always wins. So they descend over time. And now where the fat pads used to be, there's just skin with vessels underneath. And you're seeing the bluish discoloration of the vessels very apparently through the skin. And if there's a prominent vessel, laser works really well for addressing prominent vessels. Some women will, and men as well, but women more, more commonly because the skin is thinner, they'll notice a, a vessel right under the lateral part of their eye. And those respond beautifully to laser. Uh, you can use uh, PRF, which is platelet-rich fibrin to kind of stimulate the collagen to rebuild between the skin and those blood vessels that can be injected under the eyes. And so can filler. Filler can be injected under the eyes to kind of fill in that area where the fat used to be. Uh, so the discoloration is one thing. Uh, the loss in volume is another thing along with sun damage, which causes lots of little crepiness and wrinkles. And that's a very common concern. Sometimes I can treat that if there's movement involved, I can treat that with neuromodulator like Botox. I can treat it with retinoids, which we talked about last time that enhances skin turnover and treats uh, and, and helps to organize the collagen. And I do like uh, patients applying retinoids, the vitamin A products we talked about in the last podcast, right up to the margin of the eye. So what I find is most people will say, I don't want to, it says not to put it near my eye. Well, if you don't apply things to your neck and your chest and close to your eyes, that skin over 20 years is going to look a lot different than the rest of your skin. Mm. So I treat the areas around my eyes the same as the rest of the face. Now we, I recommend lower strengths of retinols or less frequent application. If you're using a higher percentage on your cheeks, you don't necessarily need to buy another product for under your eyes. Just use it three times a week instead of every day. So use it less frequently oh, okay. or lower percentage. Because I wanted to ask you about that because that's something that I've noticed is when I've used a, stop, a strong doctor prescribed retinol, my face overall will adapt pretty well to it. But the two areas that are the toughest is I get an itchy neck. And my husband will always say to me, you've been using retinol on your neck again. And it's like, yes, but you know, I want to persevere with it. Cause as you say, if I just do the face and not the neck, that's going to age. But with my eye area, what I don't enjoy is it gives a dryness that can make my eye area look quite crepey. And I almost can't overcome that. Is it a case of just if you've got to push through that barrier to get to the other side. <laughs> yeah. There's two ways to look at that. Um, I probably went through pushing through that for three years. Mm -hmm. So sometimes some people, they just don't push through it. Like you're describing. Right. And I'm one of those people, I mean, I've been using it for over 20 years now, and I still cannot use it every single night. And I have other, I have some patients who use it every single night from day one. So it really depends on your receptors for retinoids because they work through receptors in the skin and your unique individuality and tolerance for it. So what I often will recommend first is applying a hyaluronic acid and then using less or less frequently. So the neck is really depending on how you sleep at night. I sleep on my back. So when we sleep on our back and our chin is brought in, it kind of pools in the creases and it really eats away at the skin. So I'll often recommend applying it more to the lateral neck and then maybe a little bit centrally and kind of sweeping the back of your hand over that. So you have sort of a lighter layer. You want to definitely apply a lot less to the neck and to the eyes and really three times a week. Studies show that three times a week is as effective at six months as every single night. So we have this mentality that more is better, but more can just be more irritating and not better. So start low and go slow, basically start okay. with the lowest percentage and increase, okay. but I also try to work within everybody's budget. So if you have a higher percentage and you want to try playing around with your neck and around your eyes, do it, start one time a week for two weeks and then 
add another night, that kind of thing. But I know what you're saying about the little creepiness where it looks like it's an accentuation of your wrinkles before they start to go away. And what I recommend is just taking a break for a two day, a couple of days and hydrating, or even doing a little bit of an exfoliator and then kind of trying, trying to do it again. And with the hyaluronic acid, now this is this just seems a minefield to me when I've looked at it because when I start diving into it, then it's like, well, there's different weights or sizes of the molecule, how much penetrates, whether you're yeah. using a good one, whether it should be combined with anything like glycerin, like, and then you'll have people like Dr. Zainab Baji who will just turn around and say, you know, or his practitioners say, no, you mustn't use any hyaluronic acid. You've got to get your skin to do it itself. When in reality, right, we have less hyaluronic acid, regardless of whether we try and do it ourselves as we age. So I kind mm -hmm. of come out on the side that, no, we do need to, we need help with that. Um, but can you kind of demystify and what we should be looking for in hyaluronic? Sure. Yeah. He's, he's really into exfoliation and I know some practitioners that are anti-exfoliation and I am sort of somewhere in the middle where I'm a big believer in exfoliation because uh, when your skin presents as looking dry, typically it needs to be exfoliated because that dry barrier is insulating and inhibiting any products from actually penetrating. So you do have to exfoliate to get the skin layers off in order to have things penetrate. Um, hyaluronic acid. So there's hydrators and there's moisturizers. Okay. And there's, they're different. So hydrators will, um, are, hyaluronic acid is a hydrator. So you want to have some moisture on your skin. The hyaluronic acid will hold on to about a thousand to 1500 times its weight in water. So if there's no water around the hyaluronic acid is going to do nothing. Okay. And so you put it on a damp face is what you're saying. Yeah. You want to put it on a damp face or do a spray, like do a little okay. spray or as, when you get out of the shower and your skin's really hydrated, it's a great time to do a quick exfoliation while it's damp, put the hyaluronic acid on. So you're increasing water in your skin with the hyaluronic acid. Now, what will happen is if you're very dry, you're and you live, if you live in a very dry environment, you're going to lose that water. It's going to evaporate and go into your environment. So you want to take a moisturizer, which is oil-based and now apply that afterwards. And that's going to seal in the moisture and add a little bit more, more oil, basically more moisturizer to your skin. So if you're acne prone, the, the, spray with a hyaluronic acid is going to be enough to hydrate the skin. Yet if you're, you know, in your forties or fifties or beyond, and you're really just very dehydrated and dry, adding that hyaluronic acid is going to equilibrate with the environment at some point, And it's not going to add moisture to your skin. You need an oil-based moisturizer to seal that in and put that on after the hyaluronic acid. Okay. And what about in terms of hyaluronic acid, are there different kind of molecule sizes or strengths that we need to be concerned? Yeah, there's, yeah, there's smaller molecular weight, hyaluronic acid that will penetrate, kind of plump up the skin from within. And then there's larger that does not penetrate. That's going to sit on the skin. So I like the combination when you can find a combination hyaluronic acid and the, the, the better ones on the market are a combination of all three of them. And you'll notice the difference in your skin of how it feels when you're using the right one. But I like small, the small and the large, medium and large, all the, all the different sizes I think work better than just having the large cheap one that sits right on top of your skin. Cause at the end of the day, you want to penetrate your skin. So you have that kind of suppleness and that, that thickness where you could pick up your skin and grab it. Like you, you, you know, you squeeze a 10 year old's cheeks, right. And there's substance there. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And, and what about, I suppose for some people listening, they might be, you know, they're into natural remedies and therapies. They're into biohacking. They may be nervous of considering more, um, in not necessarily invasive, but more kind of toxic potentially treatments. So things like Botox, for example, that contains a toxin and a lot of doctors are like, well, you don't need to worry about it at all. Where do you come out on this? And is it possible to kind of grow, grow a sort of age gracefully and not need this? Like, I think, you know, the person that can't spring straight to mind is Gwyneth Paltrow. She seems to be like, she doesn't seem to have had too much interference and, and obviously has her diet and nutrition and everything really nailed. But how able are we to do that, do you think? And how much of an issue is it putting things like Botox in? Well, I think it, you know, taking a step back, like we don't need any of it, right? <laughs> Do we really need it? It's not in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know? Um, it's a matter of how much you want and 
how your lifestyle is. So going back to biohacking or your lifestyle, I mean, every choice we make every day determines how we look. It's not what you do in the office. And that's why I started my podcast in, in this industry with you, why we both had, have had these career switches because we realized like how vital our health is in being able to create the life we want. Right. So you have to go back to moving your body. Like the lymphatic system is so underrated, but exercise and moving your body and having polyphenols and a health, you know, between every artery and vein, you have lymphatics having plenty of water so that your lymphatics are not like glue, but they can circulate and clean things out of your body and keep you detoxified. Like these kind of things are important, especially when we're dealing with bags under the eyes, we want lymphatic flow as much as possible massage, you know, circulation, improving that sort of thing, as well as, so exercise is important diet, the amount of stress we have daylight sleep, all of these things that we do are going to play a much more vital role than doing none of that and coming into the office and expecting your dermatologist or a plastic surgeon to make you look good because you're not going to radiate. You might look aesthetically pleasing two-dimensionally, right? Like we can make people look from surgery, but you're not going to have that radiant glow that you really are seeking that emits health. So as far as procedures go, hyaluronic acid is natural. It's a natural substance in our skin. It's also what we use in fillers to revolumize the face. Now, Botox, I don't know. I think you have more approved there, but we have Juvo, Botox, Xeomin, and Dysport in the United States. They're basically four different neuromodulators that work by blocking the signal from the nerve to the muscle. So it works for, um, so you could see like when I move, I can raise my eyebrows. So I'm not like, hi, Angela, good to see you. I could, mm. I could raise and go, hi, good to see you. So I have those micro expressions, but yet there's not enough to make a deep wrinkle in my face. So we use these neuromodulators to weaken muscles that form lines in the face. So if you can't make deep creases, like and that's, I can't get angry. You know, <laughs> if you can't make deep creases, then the lines don't form there over time. Once the lines are deep there, these neuromodulators don't work as well to reverse them. It's more of a preventative treatment. Um, but what I often will tell people if they're hesitant is number one, it's an, a cosmetic elective procedure. It's not mandatory whatsoever. Um, it's very, very low risk. The amount of Botox botulism toxin in honey that you can't give a baby under the age of six months or even a year is higher than what we put in the face for cosmetic reasons. So nice. is it natural? Yes. Botulism is found natural in nature. It doesn't mean it's good. You know, it's natural. It's very low amount for cosmetic reasons. And the risks are very low. When you're talking about fillers, hyaluronic acid is pretty safe. It's natural. We naturally make it in our bodies. Um, there are other fillers that are uh, more foreign substances to the body. And anytime you put a foreign substance in your body, we all saw this with silicon back in the eighties and the nineties, our bodies will attack it and form granulomas and have, you know, more reactions to that sort of thing. And we even have even seen it with, uh, the COVID vaccine with hyaluronic acid, where people are getting inflamed and red afterwards. So yeah, when you put foreign bodies into your skin and your body, you have more of a, a risk than if you do things naturally retinols, vitamin A it's natural. Mm -hmm. So many of the things we get from nature and we utilize their natural potential in ways that, um, have the highest benefit and the lowest risk. Does that answer that, your question? That does answer my question. Okay. Okay, well, thank you. And on the, um, on the Botox point, obviously there's like a few products that have come out. Um, I can think of one here in the UK that's got quite big that utilize uh, bee venom in the product with the idea that by utilizing that product or putting the product on the skin every day, you are limiting the range of facial muscle movements, right? And they have grades where you can move up through the categories a bit like you can with retinol. Have you seen any evidence of that actually working? Well, it depends on how thick your stratum corneum or the, the top layer of dead skin cells are. The thinner it is, the more things are going to penetrate, right? So mm -hmm. we take pills orally typically because the skin is not the best medium for penetration of things. Yet we do absorb things through the skin. You know, we use hormones as patches. We absorb chemicals through our hands when we touch receipts. So we do know that there is quite a bit of penetration through the skin. Um, I think that those products are effective for a certain period of time. They don't work the typical three months as the injectables do. And you want to know your anatomy when you're applying things to your face, because we don't want all the muscles to just get weaker, right? We want to be able to smile and, you know, 
I, we, we use these micro expressions when we speak with people all the time. And the studies uh, regarding the psychology behind the use of these neuromodulators, I'll just say the word Botox. I'll use that for all the neuromodulators, the studies behind Botox. Basically it shows if you can't frown all day, you actually get less depressed. So it works for helping depression because if you can't make grimaces, it sends signals to your brain, making you a little bit happier. Right? So that's a positive. Now when it's overdone and you cannot make micro expressions like the squinch. So the difference between knowing when someone is truly happy to see you versus a fake smile is a squinch where instead of you just smile like this, you squinch. And if you do too much of the Botox there, or you can't raise your brows to be excited when someone sees you, or you have these little expressions to give people feedback as they're talking to you, not only can they not communicate with you as well, but you also don't have empathy towards them as well because you're not making these micro expressions. So there's a fine line between efficacy and overdoing it where the reason we want to look good really is to be more sociable and feel better in, in the world. But when we're interacting with people and hurting those experiences, that defeats the purpose, right? Yeah. So there's a place where it's done well, and then there's overdone. And I think it's gotten a bad rap because it's been overdone so much. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think you need a very good practitioner like yourself, right? Who a good doctor who will give you what you need to achieve the look that you want, but without taking away that ability to form proper facial expressions. Cause yeah, as you say, it, it kind of spoils the contact that you have with someone that you're, you're with. While we're on the topic of young looking skin, I want to talk to you about a company that reached out to me a few months ago to test out their skincare range. And as you know, I never recommend anything that I don't love and use myself. And so I've been experimenting with a skincare line called Young Goose, who have patented products that deliver the three most potent molecules that have been specially synthesized to be directly absorbed by your skin and rejuvenated on a cellular level. Now they have smart delivery of nicotinamide riboside and nicotinamide mononucleotide, which you may know are converted in your cells into NAD, which help to repair DNA, reverse mitochondrial damage, and increase cellular biogenesis. And they have a smart delivery system to deliver this straight into your skin cells. But they've also combined this with two other potent ingredients, patented fermented resveratrol, which is a powerful antioxidant that helps protect your body against cancer and also activates your longevity and anti aging genes alongside coenzyme Q10, which is another powerful antioxidant that has really strong anti-inflammatory properties and contributes to the production of collagen and elastin. And since using this skincare line, I have noticed that my skin is brighter, it's smoother, it's plumper, and some of those kind of fine lines that I felt were starting to appear have actually disappeared. So I've totally fallen in love with this range and I wanted to share it with you because they have given podcast listeners a very cool 20% off their range. All you need to do is go to bit.ly forward slash young goose to check them out. They have a fantastic range of products and as I say they really are active. Um, there's no downtime from things like retinol that you might experience with some other products. Um, I found these just started to work within a very short period of time and I'm just absolutely loving the results and you can too. So head over to bit.ly forward slash young goose and enter code Angela Foster to get 20% off. That's bit.ly forward slash young goose and enter code Angela Foster to get 20% off your order. Now let's get back to the show. Um, yeah. One of the things that also happens uh is sort of atrophy in terms of the facial muscles and also down below for women right in this stage so it's happening in two places so if we stay up top for a minute uh this can happen first around their jawline and then we can talk about vaginally what's happening but in terms of their face what can they do there do you think that like doing facial muscle exercises using facial toners works or is this where you also need to use things like fillers or other products i don't know 
Yeah. Um, we talked about fillers a little bit last time, and I think fillers definitely play a role, especially in the temples where we lose a lot of volume in the temples and the eyes kind of look saggy. I love uh, filler for those areas as well as the zygoma or the cheekbone. Um, as far as the jaw, the jaw plays a big role in aging. And last time we touched on the importance of weight training, because when you are, as we get older, we develop sarcopenia or loss of muscle. And I always say, you can tell the age of someone by the flatness of their butt, because we lose that we lose lower body muscle in particular in our glutes and in our legs. And, um, it's really, really important to use those muscles and lift heavy things because not only for those muscles and for increasing our daily metabolic rate, but also because when we work our muscles, it sends signals to the bones and to the muscles all over. So you might be working your back in the gym, or you might be working your legs in the gym, but what's happening is the muscles and the jawbone are getting stronger as well as, you know, your spine and everything else that allows you to have good posture. They're getting stronger and our jaw and our cheekbones. And I mean, basically our entire facial structure supports the skin. So when we lose volume in the face from our muscles and from our bones and from our teeth, so having healthy teeth our skin becomes saggy and the jaws are really, really difficult area, you know, to keep, uh, to keep sharp, you know, once you hit about 40, 45, because we do lose that much bone mass. So weight training would be my number one recommendation and making sure you have adequate high quality protein. Those are my two recommendations for keeping good volume in your face and a nice shape to your body. Um, but, and then fillers is where we go for that because neuromodulators are not going to help add volume. So we look at revolumizing and relaxing the muscles, revolumizing the face and relaxing the muscles. But what you're talking about there is sort of when we think of men, like this specific sort of chiseled jawline and that mm -hmm. you often associate with a very fit man, right? That's what we're achieving through the weight training. But then you also get some drop, right? Around, is this, I don't know, is this the area you call the jowls when you go between the nose and the chin? This area sort of drops on the face as well so because of gravity. The cheekbone, we lose volume in the cheekbone and then the jowls are here. Oh, they're here. So the, like so around the jawline. Isn't there around your sort of the bottom part of your cheek here? Yes. So the nasolabial fold, like oh, the fold from, yeah. And what we were doing early on with fillers is we were putting fillers in the nasolabial fold and people were looking a little simian. So the first time it looked good but then it looked more and more monkey-like, right? And if you look at a child, they have a nasolabial fold, but the reason it didn't look very good in you know, 30, 40, 50 year olds is because we were losing volume laterally. So mm. the more you add volume laterally where you're actually losing it in your muscles and your, and in your bone, the more it naturally lifts and the corner of the mouth lift. So if you don't address the volume out in the periphery of the face, and you only address centrally, it, the, the balance is off. So I, I can't stand when the companies show these advertisements or these adverts of just that one spot and that one fold that's prominent and how good it looks afterwards. Because when you're looking at someone aesthetically, it's about balance in the face. Mm. You don't want to address one area and not address the whole face, right? So it's, it's keeping your specific balance. So I usually will ask people, what is, let me show, show me your license from five or 10 years ago, your driving license or a picture, because that's what I'm trying to get back to. I don't want them to have somebody else's face. Right. Yeah, of course. Exactly. And I guess as we then, as you think kind of further down, as women go through the things that women will struggle with and, and weight training will take care of a lot of this, right? They feel like they lose that tone on their arms, but then as they go down, you sort of get to that point where it's like, can I wear a dress that's above the knee? Because now the, the skin of the knee doesn't look as toned anymore. That's an area, right? What, what can you do there? That's that, quite specific. Yeah. This is so funny because I was talking to my girlfriend about this the other day because she can't stand that area. And I said, I have never noticed that area until you pointed it out. And now I, uh, now I have more and more patience because we've gotten good about rejuvenating the face and the neck. Yeah. And now people are looking lower. And I mean, we even do filler in the back of the hands to help with veins and stuff. So for the knees, I mean, if you think about it, we talked last time about adding the retinol or the tretinoin or retin-A to your moisturizer. Now that's going to help with the crepiness and turning over the skin and helping with the elasticity and collagen. But why is the skin saggy there? Loss of muscle. Mm. So rebuild that muscle 
and it will fill in. So a lot of it is loss of muscle. So like, I feel, I don't know if you guys have bar classes there, but when you're on your tiptoes and you're doing sort of deeper bends, it helps to fill in that muscle a little bit. There's lasers and things that you can do, but I really feel like weightlifting makes a big difference for helping that create that, um, right where the quads meet, right. Right. Where the quad meets and Yeah. That's, that's, that's really loss of volume of the quad muscle. And do you think taking collagen orally as well is important for this? For that, uh, the collagen studies have been very, very supportive of hydration of the skin. So if you can hydrate the skin, it will make it look more plump. That will benefit you topically and internally. I'm always going for that, but I think healthy fats are the key to hydration in the skin, mm. fish oil, you know, all the things we've talked about. Yeah. Previously. Uh-huh. Okay. So let's talk then down below, because this is, this is a problem area, right? Which we didn't get to last time. And I was excited to talk to you about, cause this is, this just has so many, uh, so many issues, I guess, for women, right? Because when down below is not as it used to be, right? You can have atrophy, you can have vaginal dryness. Now you kind of go off sex. Then when you go off sex, I think you were saying to me earlier, then you're not utilizing that muscle, but also it's difficult in relationships for women um, when, when that happens. And you can kind of get a loss of joy because it's, it's an important part, right? Otherwise the relationship is just platonic. So it just, there's so many psychosocial factors in terms of this. Can you explain what's happening for women during perimenopause as we see the drop in hormones and why we start to see changes? Sure. Sure. Um, I think the first thing that I want everyone to realize is that you're not alone. So this is a very common problem that you just don't talk about at lunch with your girlfriends. Right. Um, but as a physician, I hear about it all the time. So anyone who's struggling with this, just know it's, it's common and you're not alone. And there's an entire, um, billion dollar industry for what we call vaginal rejuvenation is one term that that might be used. So, um, just know it's, it's pretty common and, um, there are some good treatments out there. So what happens over time is we can just start with blood flow. So blood flow decreases and nerve sensitivity decreases, right? So things aren't going to feel the same in your fifties as they do in your twenties. Um, there is, I don't know if you have the gains wave there for men, men use gains wave to kind of clear out some of the arteries, the artery blockages. Um, there's the fem wave, which cleans out some of the, uh, artery blockages for women. And it's basically like just breaking up the plaques using a painless device. So that can be done if you have decreased sensitivity. Um, the other thing and you know what, let's talk about vaginal dryness and then we'll go into some other increases, ways to increase uh, sensitivity. So vaginal dryness will typically happen when your estrogen drops. So there's certain times of the month when estrogen is higher, right? The week after your period ends and into ovulation, your estrogen is highest because that's when your libido is usually highest, And it's naturally, uh, you're naturally more inclined to procreate mid cycle because that's when you're fertile and that's how evolution has it working just to the perfect point. And as we hit, uh, perimenopause and then into menopause, our estrogen levels will be sporadic. Sometimes it will be higher and sometimes it will be lower. And when it's lower, you can start getting dry. And as, um, the vagina gets drier and it's less lubricated. It can also have some atrophying or loss of, uh, the resiliency and, and the texture and the tone and sex can be kind of painful. And then you don't want to do it as much. Right. So we have to remember the vagina is a muscle and muscles will atrophy and weaken and become just more weak if we don't use them and they become stronger and healthier and increase blood flow and work better when we use them. So the less sex you have, the less you're going to want to have, right? So if this is starting to become a problem for you, you definitely want to address it sooner rather than later. Um, so making sure your hormones are balanced, go to somebody who can take a look at, uh, your hormones and you don't need to take estrogen, you know, orally, you can, there's applicators that can be, um, precisely dosed into the vaginal muscles. Okay. Um, I mean, into your vagina and, um, you can get estrogen therapy using that. There are also, um, there's a great at-home device. I really like it's called the joy Lux V fit. And I know as a biohacker, you talk about red light a lot, and this is a red light device that you insert into your vagina and there's a stimulation mode. It's not like a, it's not a vibrator. It's a stimulation mode. It's a medical grade therapeutic treatment to 
stimulate the muscle to, uh, be stronger and better and, and come back to resiliency where it has the texture and tone that you want it to have as, as when you're younger. And it's combined with red light. So it's kind of improving what collagen in that area, improving, improving mitochondrial health in that area, blood flow, all of those things at the same time, as well as toning. Exactly. All of those things. It's beautiful. It's um, J-O-Y-L-U-X-V-Fit. And I have no um, conflict of interest with that company whatsoever. Um, So we'll often, if I do a treatment on someone in the office, there's different types of lasers, similar lasers to what we use on the face. There's ablative lasers where you um, you damage the tissue and it rebuilds stronger. Okay. That's, that's sort of the, the heavy duty treatment. There's radio frequency lasers, which kind of just stimulate the tissue. And that's a little bit more preventative. Um, and then the at-home device with the joy Lux is three times a week for up to 10 minutes, three times a week. And, um, it, it, it often, a lot of my patients will use it before intercourse because it brings blood flow and stimulates the area and will enhance lubrication as well. And until things can go back to where they want to be. And then the other thing is the O shot. Do you have that there? The O shot in England It might be coming. I don't know. Maybe in London. I definitely, it's not a widely used thing. We have It's similar to PRP, isn't it? That you have for the face, mm-hmm. which is becoming more available. Um, but yeah, exactly. don't know how available the O shot is yet. Okay. Yeah. So the O shot is basically PRP. So you get your blood drawn and then we pull out the platelet rich plasma, which is PRP. And we inject it into certain areas, G spot, periclitoral, periurethral. Um, the O shot is a specific trademarked name, but there's the, it's a feminine shot basically that can be done a lot of different ways. And the way that I do it, I find to be very effective where I, you know, put these stem cells, periclitoral, periurethral, and into the G spot. And, um, after about a month or so, it kind of stimulates new, healthy renewal of the area and people have increased sensitivity to that as well. Amazing. Um, and And nitric oxide boosters, nitric oxide boosters. Yeah. Which are important for both men and women, right? Yes. And not only do nitric oxide boosters, um, you know, enhance blood flow, but they also enhance vaginal moisture. So lubrication. So what specific nitric oxide boosters are you thinking from a dietary perspective or? Yeah, there's one that I use. Um, gosh, I'll give you the link for the show notes. There's one that is all natural and organic. That's loaded with a ton of different herbs that I wouldn't even know off the top of my mind. And then from a dietary perspective, I always go to arugula and beets. There's a great beet salad that I love to make, and it has both arugula and beets in it, um, along with some pistachios and goat cheese and things like that, that, that I find delicious. Um, but yeah, no, and I'm not a big fan of arginine just because I find that taking arginine often causes my patients to get cold sore breakouts. So if someone wants to try L-citrulline, L-citrulline is fine, but arginine, I'm just not a big fan of because it, it counters lysine and lysine when it's low makes you more predisposed to getting cold sore breakouts. Cool. Great tip. Um, thank you. And what about in terms of DHEA? Cause I, there are some creams that you can use that contain DHEA down, um, below. What have you found with that? Yeah. I mean, it goes back to doing blood tests first, just to check where some, Mm. some people are at, um, because, you know, testosterone is needed to build muscle, right? So some women that just can't put muscle on will often need DHEA or testosterone, right? Depending on where they're at. And, um, there's something called scream cream (laughs) that has DHEA in it and women will apply it directly to the clitoris and that will help bring blood flow down there and enhance arousal. Um, I just don't recommend it blindly for everyone because it's such a personal, it's a personal treatment plan, depending on what's going on. Um, you know, because when you're looking at, when you're looking at, um, you know, desire, even like desire versus libido versus arousal, they're all different things. So like your libido is basically your general health, whether you want to, you know, be with a partner or pleasure yourself, like your libido is an indication of your health. So if you have no libido at all, you have to take a look at your general health. You know, what are your hormones doing? Mm -hmm. What is, what is going on with your body? You know, what's your stress level? That's your health. So if you have zero libido, 
there's something going on with your health and you need to get seen by a doctor. Now, desire is more about how you feel about your partner and that's keeping the spice alive in the relationship, right? And having that balance of security and excitement. And that's often really hard after kids and life gets busy and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, and then there is arousal and that's like the techniques and things you do in the bedroom. So, you know, I think primarily we're talking about, but all of them have this like fancy interplay and this dance that we do, because if it breaks down in the libido desire arousal, what's going to happen is then you're going to be less likely to be aroused. If, if you do have sex, because you're, if you're having less and less sex, the muscle is going to get less and less comfortable over time. Mm. So. so, I mean, if you take, if you take a woman, for example, perimenopause or postmenopause, right? So at the late, later stage of perimenopause, and let's say she's in a relationship with a partner that she still has a really strong desire for. She's doing everything right. She's maybe listening to your podcast, my podcast, doing the biohacking, her nutrition and everything dialed in. But there are some women who then do struggle with arousal, right? So they really struggle with orgasm. And I was just wondering when you were talking about that O shot there, because there are women that will say, actually, I've just always found it hard to orgasm, which is really quite gutting, right? You're massively missing out on life, I think. Um, would that help them? Or are there other things for those women? Or is it just that actually their partner just isn't turning them on quite enough? Um, no, I think, I mean, it depends on the person, obviously, because if they used to be able to orgasm and now they can't, that's what I think a lot of the procedures we're talking about are for, you know, the O shot and the, the, uh, fem wave and, you know, the V fit. And I kind of look at it as at this stuff as preventative. So I used to think, oh, let's wait until you have problems. But I think once you're in your you know, in late thirties, early forties, mid forties, like really we have to start looking at all the parts of our body as, you know, tuning up the car. So we go in and we get a tune up on our car. We don't wait for it to break down, you know? So look at our skin. How can we maintain our skin? How can we maintain our teeth? How can we maintain our vaginal health until it's too late until we have problems. Um, estrogen really is getting that estrogen fine tune, which is different for everyone is really important. And in a bioidentical form, um, is really important in order to be able to have health, a healthy vaginal muscle. And then the other things are going to help blood flow and lymphatic flow to, uh, support that muscle to be healthy. So yeah, assuming the partnership is great and all of that to increase the libido, it comes down to hormones and blood flow and just keeping everything lubricated. Mm. Brilliant. Thank you. And have you, um, found, I'm curious with the red light therapy that you were talking about that you can use down there. I've been trying one for the, the complete opposite end, uh, in the mouth actually, that is supposed to help with your gums and optimize the health of your, um, the top part of your microbiome, right? So it starts the GI tract at start at the top and it's optimizing the bacteria there to an extent. There's more and more research coming out. Obviously we know that the vagina has its own microbiome. Is there evidence that you can help with that balance as well? Oh, you know, I don't, I'm, that's on my list to get that by the Wait, way, it, it's it? primal, it's from uh, primal organics, right? I have BioLite. <laughs> oh, BioLite. Okay. Bio okay. I'll check yes. that out too. Okay, great. Yeah, that's on my list to get. Um, I don't, I don't, I have not seen any scientific literature looking at the microbiome in the vagina to see if it has been affected by the red light. Um, more what we're seeing is, is really just the end result, but not necessarily the physiology, how we're getting there, you know, yeah. and I, you know, it could even be just I mean, it's just a muscle. You just got to insert things. I mean, <laughs> and like make it work because, I, but the red light, there's really strong evidence behind red light and what it yeah. can do. And I, it pains me to just see people ignore that area of their body. And when we discuss it in the office, they'll often say, oh, I don't have sex. Well, mm. the hormones that are produced during sex and there's, they're so good for balancing out the entire milieu of your body. I mean, the oxytocin and the prolactin, I mean, there's so many important things about sex that everybody should be engaging in it in a healthy way, um, and embracing it. And there's really good technology out there to help you because it's common enough. You're not alone. So 
Yeah. And I think that's reassuring for people and also understanding because actually I would say sex is an important part of longevity. Right? It's part of your longevity protocol. I guess that brings me to the question of, is there an optimum number of times a week that we don't want to make it clinical, but yeah. is there an optimal number of times to uh, to have sex weekly for a woman? And maybe it's may- maybe different for men mm-hmm. uh, in terms of what the science shows. I read a study years and years ago showing for men it's quantity and for women it's quality. So just it's quality over quantity. Um, And it really is more about the connection for women than about even just self-pleasure. So um, it's less about the orgasm and more about the connection. So just remember that choose your partners wisely. <laughs> yeah. For all the men listening, just, just take heed of that. Well, and <laughs> take care of your quality. <laughs> yeah. And for the men listening, like foreplay starts in the morning, you know, do you give her that kiss? Do you, do your eyes light up when she walks in the room? Like all those little things matter for women. So, and it Definitely. builds and builds and builds. Definitely. I love that. Before you go, I've got to ask this question because it's completely off topic, but it was a question I was asked to ask and I'm going to forget it otherwise. Great. Cellulite. What can people do? What works? I think red light therapy even. I mean, like for me, like I'm always saying get the lymphatic system moving and use things like red light therapy and body brushing, sauna. But what do you have as a dermatologist? What, what, what can people do for cellulite? I couldn't have set this up any better. Okay. So uh, I believe in body brushing. I really believe in massage. Um, but at the end of the day, the genetics are often the genetics. You have to have a clean diet because the more toxins you have, the more it's going to build up. And the reason I'm saying this leads into it is because, um, there's a new device that was FDA approved in the U S called the quo Q W O that, um, it's a treatment where you inject Clostridia histolyticum. So you're injecting a bacteria right. and not, not Clostridia botulinum, which is Botox, but Clostridia histolyticum. And it helps break up those fibers mm. in that there's fibers basically that the fat comes through that makes it look like cellulite. So it helps break up those fibers. And we are going to be discussing cellulite on my podcast with one of my colleagues and friends who was a major uh, research participant in that study, Dr. Brenda Litowski. So um, we'll be talking about that in a few weeks if you want to tune in. Amazing. I'm, I'm going to tune in and I recommend everyone listening to this. If you haven't, I'm not sure when this is coming out on the schedule, but they can go back and listen to that episode if it's afterwards. But that sounds awesome because uh, so many people question me on that. And I think it can be really difficult, right? When it's stubborn, it can be very hard. It can, you know, and she's really the expert on cellulite. So that's why I'm having her come on the show. And I don't want to misspeak here in anticipation of what she's going to say. So I'm having her on because it is such a hot topic and, um, yeah, we're going to cover it. So I don't, I I think it'll come out like early, early December, just in time for the holidays. Right. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) We will look out for that. Um, and so finally, before you go, any new biohacks that you want to share that you're working on anything? I saw spermidine on your Instagram, but anything? Yeah. I mean, I like spermidine. That's a great supplement. Um, I also like urolithic a urolithin a, which I take the one from a pure and cap pure encapsulations. I haven't tried the mito pure. Have you, have you dabbled with that? No, I've been looking at it though. Yeah. I haven't okay. tried it yet. And I just attended the integrated dermatology symposium. Okay. So I have a couple of pearls for eczema, the best, absolute best oil you can do to hydrate your skin and improve your skin barrier is dot, dot, dot sunflower oil. Mm-hmm. It increases ceremony, ceramides, improves the skin barrier and decreases inflammation. Uh, also if you have eczema, cause I know it's probably getting dry there a little bit with the winter and the heat getting turned on, uh, L histidine is an amino acid, four grams a day of that and oral hemp seed oil, two tablespoons of that, but you don't want to cook with it. You want it raw because it has a yeah. low smoke point and vitamin D orally. People need to start hitting that in England for sure, because, um, everyone's D deficient starting yeah. pretty much now. And I recommend 5,000 IU a day for everyone. And then for acne, this is a good acne tip for acne, pumpkin seed oil blocks five alpha reductase which causes the hormonal acne around the jaw and also hair loss. So pumpkin seed oil massage into the scalp or 20 drops of tea tree oil with one ounce of pumpkin seed oil, spot treating pimples can help. 
Interesting. Oh, yeah. and for the scalp, because that's another thing we didn't manage to get onto, but hair, that's always important. And hair thinning is a big thing for men and yeah. women as they get older. I know. And it's a really big area of interest for me because growing up, like all the women in my family are bald and I have these horrible memories of my dog running, running around the house, chewing up my grandmother's wig and tearing it up as a kid because she was that bald. And the, the women in my family were all bald. And at age 19, I started getting sunburns on my scalp because I was losing hair. So I've been using, I'll tell you what I've been doing. And I recommend this for many of my patients. I use minoxidil. Mm -hmm. I do minoxidil except for when I'm pregnant and breastfeeding. Um, it's not cosmetically elegant. It can make your hair sticky, but if you could do the 5% once a day, um, pumpkin seed oil massage is wonderful, especially if you have your partner rub it into your scalp. That's nice. Um, I like low laser, low level laser light therapy. They come in caps or bands. Mm. Now, and is there a cap that you can recommend? Cause I was actually researching this today. Yeah. There's no particular one that I recommend. I had Dr. Alan Bauman on my podcast and there are some that he specifically recommends. I've been using the laser, um, the hair max laser band and he reprimanded me and said that was, that was insufficient. It wasn't strong enough. Oh, okay. Um, but I have what I have, you know, and they're not mm. inexpensive. So once you invest in one, keep it, I've had it for 10 years. Um, and then that stimulates the hair follicle to grow. Um, the, the other thing, um, I really like a supplement called Nutrafol, N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L. Yeah. It has some adaptogenic herbs in it too, to help with cortisol. And it, it, if it doesn't make your hair thicker, it certainly makes it grow quicker. That's mm. for sure. Those are the three big ones that I really like. And then PRP works for the hair. I've had it done twice, maybe five years ago. It hurts. It hurts a lot. <laughs> so, um, I haven't, I haven't done it since then. It's really messy and it hurts. Um, but it works very, very well for hair loss is PRP into the scalp, um, about once a month for three months. And then every six months for maintenance is the protocol. Obviously I'm in the clinic and I don't really follow protocols, but that's the protocol that I would recommend for people. And microneedling with exosomes is another popular treatment that can be done. Those are, those are sort of the big hitters. The in-clinic ones. Amazing. You have shared so much in such a short space of time. It's amazing to have you oh, back. Sure. I think I could just like chat, chat, chat. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Oh, it's amazing. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, before you go, please just link, because there may be some new listeners listening who hadn't listened to the previous episode. Where can they find you? Sure. I'm on Instagram at Dr. Jen Haley, D-R-J-E-N-H-A-L-E-Y. And then my podcast is Radiance Revealed uh, with Dr. Jen Haley. And if you are in the States, I do telemedicine on a platform called Dermatologist on Call, and I'm licensed in 22 states. So if those are one of your states, I can see you there. How exciting. Amazing. We will link to all of that in the show notes. Thanks so much, Jen. Thanks, Angela. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I have so enjoyed having Dr. Jen back on the show. If you want to download the transcript or the show notes, they are over on my website, angelafosterperformance.com forward slash podcast. Thank you as always for listening. If you're enjoying the show, I would be super grateful if you could leave us a positive review over on iTunes or whichever platform you're listening on as it really just helps us to get the message out to a wider audience. Thanks again for listening and I'll catch up with you next week. Thanks for listening. Remember to review and subscribe. You can grab the show notes, the resources and highlights of everything Angela mentioned over at AngelaFosterPerformance.com. You can also snatch up plenty of other goodies, including the highly helpful Angela Recommends page, which is a list of everything she personally recommends to optimize your mind, body and lifestyle.